Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel and Jonathan I will be talking about Hukat, a biblical lesson in anger management. Let's talk about anger and temper. Have you ever lost your temper? Oh, sure. Plenty of times. Um, as a kid, I, I can certainly remember vividly outbursts where I would mostly take it out on my brother and we'd fight. But yeah, I've lost my temper plenty of times. As have I. And I think one of the really um, amazing things is what we tend to blame in the midst of our anger, right? Of course, it's never us. You did this or the stupid car did this or the, you know, it's always something else besides me. This is what caused it. And it's, you see children do it, but then you watch adults do it and you kind of realize that it's kind of just part and parcel of the human condition. Yeah. You know, you, you see people kicking the tire of the car or people putting their hands through the wall in anger because, you know, they're, they're looking for something to strike out at. They're looking for something to release this feeling that they can't deal with, I think. I'm thinking about it because in our portion, Moses is a person who we know to have somewhat of a temper. He does have anger management issues. And in this week's portion, his anger is going to be his downfall. It's the whole story of Miriam's death. His sister dies. And there he is mourning with his brother Aaron. They're in their tent, basically sitting shiva. But the people want water. They're thirsty. And they come and they begin to complain and shout to him. And he gets so angry. And God says, speak to the rock and water will, will flow. But what does he do? He begins to scream at the people, how long will I have to put up with you, you you rebels? And he begins to hit the rock with his staff. Well, water comes out of the rock. But at that moment, Moses is also informed that he's no longer going to take the people of Israel into the land. It's really just a shocking story and one that I think is, is important to, to think about because it certainly doesn't speak to any sort of fairness, does it? No, I guess not. But there's got to be something that we're, we can learn from this. I'm sure you'll tell me. But so he's so he hits the rock in anger. He gets the water, but then he's punished for, 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 for his anger. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. That's 100% correct. And there are a couple of issues here that the rabbis pick up on. Number one is that he publicly disobeys God. God said, speak to the rock, and he hits the rock. So let's just start with that, that he is not being a good steward of God's commandments. Number two is that leaders have to love their people. They have to love them and not reject them, even in their most difficult moments. And Moses has done this again and again. But when he loses his temper in front of the people that he serves, he has lost his ability in some ways to lead. That's the kind of the argument that the Torah is making. Part of its relationship with God and the other part of it is leadership. I, I, I feel bad for Moses here because he wouldn't have been so angry if he weren't trying to lead. He didn't want this water for himself. He wanted it for the people that were following him. And he didn't want to disappoint them. He, he didn't want to see them suffer. And he was getting angry. It would be nice if he could keep his cool all the time, but he's human. He is human. And just to kind of strengthen your argument here, you'll recall that Moses didn't want this job to begin with. He, was, he, he said, God, send someone else. Finally, God gets so angry with him that God ends up bringing Aaron on board. 
But the bottom line is, is that Moses didn't want this job to begin with. And now that he's done all of this, he's gone to Pharaoh. He has put up with the, with the breaking of the tablets. He's even dealt with the spies and the people wanting to go back to Egypt. And in each case, he's thrown himself before God and protected the people. And the one time that he hits the rock with the staff, he sort of gets the pink slip. That's a hard, hard lesson, isn't it? It's very hard. And I think when you're thrust into a position of, of leadership like that, where you're really being asked to do almost the impossible and then to do it on and on, it's not, you know, it's not just like, okay, we'll get you out of Egypt and then, and then you're on your own. He's got this permanent job and he signed up for a, a long-term package here. It's a lifetime commitment. And who can handle that without sometimes losing their cool? Well, that's an interesting question because what we're seeing also is that in the midst of the book of Numbers, Moses is losing control. He's losing the ability to manage this people. And perhaps, and as, as harsh as this is, perhaps it is time for new leadership. Perhaps the time has come for Moses to step down and allow the next generation to come in. If Moses is so frustrated, he can't control his emotions, then maybe maybe it's time. And maybe there's mercy here, maybe because because he's failing in a whole variety of ways. The whole story of the spies is a huge failure on his part. And somehow he has not been able to lead the people in such a way that they're ready to go into the land. And maybe that's too much to ask. But I think that that's kind of the implication of the Torah. You know, we see this often in history with leaders of movements, with people who are rebels or pioneers they have difficulty adapting to life after the revolution. They unleash forces that they can't control and they had never intended to control. They only wanted to unleash the forces. They were acting in the moment of crisis. And when the crisis passes or evolves, how are they supposed to adapt? Do they have to step aside and let the people lead or for, or find new leaders or, you know, in the rare circumstance, can they find a way to evolve along with the people who are and, and the situations that are changing so dramatically. You know, it's interesting, as you were talking, I was thinking about Winston Churchill, who's one of my great heroes, and I read anything I can find about Churchill. But you think about the fact that he, like Moses, almost single-handedly saved England. He was the voice against Chamberlain. He led the people and gave them hope and courage to withstand the onslaught of these terrible raids on London, on England, and gave the people a sense that they could go forward. Really? I mean, in a way, for England, facing the German army before the war actually started, but, but to face that machine, anyone in their right mind would say no. And yet, this Churchill, who kind of at the end kind of cajoled Roosevelt and got the Americans on board and the war ended and Germany was defeated and England was saved. And yet they voted him out of office in the next term. Couldn't lead them. You couldn't lead them. So sometimes maybe it's the case that leaders serve a specific function at a specific time, but maybe they can, you know, there's a wartime president. Maybe there's not a peacetime. Maybe that same person can't lead you into a peacetime. That's right. And I think that the question then I get back to you about is why should Moses be punished for this if he's being human, if he's doing what is almost inevitable for any human? Why should he be punished for failing to maintain his 
com. Well, that's an interesting question, but I guess I have a question to ask you. Why should the people have to put up with a leader who may not be the right leader for the moment because it's good for the leader? In other words, maybe what's happening is, is that in this moment, Moses is showing the people that he can no longer lead them forward. He can no longer garner their confidence. And they're going to go into a war situation. They need to be led by someone who has a grip on their own emotions. Also, a person who is supportive of them. Maybe Moses' time had come and God makes the hard decision for the sake of the people, for the sake of the larger enterprise, that no leader is going to take you all the way there, that every leader takes you to a certain place, and then the next generation has to take over. Maybe the Torah is just portraying the natural course of things. Maybe so. It, it does seem like it's hard to think of examples um, where that leader does segue nicely to the second job. But um, you know, more to, the, to your point, I guess God is acting on behalf of the people and God is in, in a way providing a different kind of leadership. You know, if Lincoln wouldn't have been assassinated, are you sure that he would have been the right president to lead into Reconstruction? I don't know that. I'm, I'm asking. I'd like to believe it because we put a pet Lincoln on such a pet, literally on a pedestal. I'm just asking you. No, that, that's uh, an unanswerable question. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> It's tricky. It's hard to know. It doesn't change my feelings about my sympathy for, for Moses. Yes, he should have been replaced. Did he deserve the punishment that he received? No. But maybe the, maybe the bigger punishment would be to continue to fail. In other words, maybe this was an act of mercy and not a punishment, as much as we'd like to think it is. Maybe God is protecting Moses in a way, and God's taking the heat for it, because Moses may seem like the wronged party, but maybe he was no longer fit to lead. That's a question. I'm just going to leave it out there. We don't, we'll never know the answer to this question, but it is a great study on leadership. The same staff that he uses to split the sea, the same staff that he uses to turn the Nile into blood, the same staff that he leads the people out of Egypt with becomes the staff of his downfall. Now, the staff hasn't changed. Moses has changed. And maybe the staff is this kind of the answer to the question that maybe in that moment, Moses showed that he had kind of come to a place where he could no longer tolerate the people. And if he can't tolerate the people, he can't love them, how can he lead them? Interesting. And if he thinks the power is in the staff, maybe it's a sign of the fact that he's not really thinking about the people or about God anymore. You know, I don't think the power is in the staff, but I think the staff is a neutral element that is a reflection of Moses. I was saying, do you think he believes that the, there's power in the staff? Is that why he strikes the rock with it? Well, I think God tells him at times, touch this, but it's only, you know, the staff is an extension of God. The staff is an extension of God when he splits the sea. The staff is an extension of God when the Nile turns the blood. The staff is an extension of God when Moses, stand, you know, in a war against the Amalekites, when he puts a staff up in the air, right, that he is... The staff is that extension of God, and the people win the war as a result. At that moment, when he's hitting the rock, the staff is no longer an extension of God, because Moses is no longer an extension of God. Moses no longer reflects the best of God, and as a result, he reflects badly on God, and maybe that's part of this. In our country, do they represent the best of the Constitution? Do they represent the best of our founding documents? That's a question that we have to ask. Are they representing the ideals? of the country. And do we even think about that 
during an election time. You know, we live in a in probably the most transactional period in American history where people are thinking on transactional terms and they're not thinking about the larger value proposition of leadership, of what a leader represents or the moral ethical framework on which they stand. You know, a leader is somebody who models the behavior that we should follow. A leader is somebody who inspires us and, and changes the way we think about how we should act. Maybe we don't even know that they're that they've inspired us, but by seeing them, by following them for so long, our behavior begins to mimic theirs. And when that's no longer the case, when that leader's behavior is no longer what we should aspire to, then their leadership comes to an end. Right. And by the way, and just, just in reflection, Moses rises to the occasion. There are very few moments of bitterness. Moses prepares the people to go off to the promised land, and then he dies. He goes to Mount Nebo and he dies at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. That's how the Torah ends. But to this day, when we speak of Moses, we say from Moses to Moses, there was none like Moses. Moses is still our greatest leader. And so we don't think of him as a failed leader. We think of him as our greatest leader. But that doesn't mean that he had to finish the job. But he prepared us so that we could finish the job. He prepared us so that we could have a Joshua who would take us forward and then on from there. Yeah, and we learned that our heroes don't have to be perfect. They just have to be perfect when we need them. I'm only, I'm, I'm only laughing about Churchill. No, he was far, far from perfect, but he was the right man at the right time, as was Moses. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Rabbi.